The call to follow Jesus and even participate in the Great Commission is largely shaped by our view of the church, and not only that, but its role and its function in our lives and in the lives of other believers. But what happens when we change that purpose? What happens when our view of the church gets distorted, when we change the church's primary function to something else? Well, this reality is what we're facing today, and it so happens to be the topic of our discussion. I'm Damon Matachera. Let's talk missions. Hey everyone, welcome back to the show. I'm glad that you've tuned in once again, that we are together as we continue the discussion around the Great Commission. Last week online, we gave the question out to everyone about what kind of advice can you give? I think the question was, what one thing can you recommend to someone who wants to follow Jesus? Because that's kind of what all of this is about, following Christ. We're talking about being a disciple because a disciple is someone who will take his commands seriously. And that's kind of what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 28. He said, you know, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. All things is all things. That includes a whole lot. That's living the Christian life. That is growing in your faith. That's daily sanctification. That is continuing on with the Great Commission. So we had a number of people write in, and we're thrilled about that. Uh, the first one here is Jeremy from Missouri, and he says, Daily Devotions. It starts with knowing and walking with God. I think that's great. I think having daily devotions with the family, uh, bringing everyone together is, is key, especially when you're trying to raise children to grow up and to value the things of God and to develop their faith. Uh, I think that having these devotions is kind of recentering the whole day on what truly is important. And I think you really can only win with doing family devotions. Now, devotions in themselves really is more of that manifestation that you have a walk with God. It's not something that kind of results in a walk with God. When you are walking with the Lord, when you are continuing in his word, when you're growing in your faith, that's going to overflow in your desire to want to know him. You're going to want to, that relationship goes two ways. You're going to want to spend time in prayer. You're going to want to read your Bible and to have some Bible study time. So uh, excellent, Jeremy. Uh, Amy from New York, uh, she says, Micah chapter 6, verse 8, to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly. I mean, we could just close it down right there. I mean, that kind of summarizes everything. I mean, just, just do justly. Just do justly, love mercy, walk humbly, you know, and that's it. You know, podcast is over. <laughs> you know, these three things, really, I mean, I don't know if you've ever done a study on Micah chapter 6, verse 8, but excellent. And it's great advice. If you're talking to someone who wants to know the Lord, who wants to grow and, and maintain that focus on Christ, this would be a great verse to, to give them, a great tip of advice. Uh, also from New York, we have a lot, you know, I, I'm a little biased towards the, 
those that write in from New York. I'm from New York. These are all my friends. And so Lauren from New York. Hey, Lauren. Uh, she says to read the book of John and let's talk about it. Again, great advice. Um, and it just so happens when I lead people to the Lord, um, which happens, you know, quite a lot, and I'm talking to them and I'm giving them that, that, that last word before I leave, they've just accepted Christ. And I tell them, I say, hey, the best thing you can do right now is to read your Bible and start in the book of John. It's a great book. John has a really good perspective that points to Christ. Uh, I mean, we have in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And it talks about just the deity of Christ and how he is manifested in the flesh. It's a great way for a new believer to start his life and his walk with the Lord. Um, back to Missouri with Aaron. Uh, Aaron says, hey, don't wait. Start now. <laughs> Four very important words. Don't wait. Start now. I couldn't agree more, Aaron. It's great. Don't wait. And hopefully we're talking about following Christ. Start following Christ now. Uh, Jillian from Honduras wrote in, find a local ministry and jump in. And I think, honestly, this really could be heeded more in churches across the United States. We need people who they accept Christ and then they're, they're brought into the church. They are developing friendships. I mean, yes, we want them to develop a relationship with God, but we want them to also develop relationships with believers in that local church. And the best way for that to happen is for someone who already knows the Lord and who's a member of that church to take them under their wing and to say, hey, you know, come with me. I'm doing this on such and such a day. Um, we're serving in our local church. Do you want to come with me? I'll pick you up. You can come meet me at my house, whatever. It's a good time. You're going to like it. Um, and so, again, excellent advice if you want to direct a new believer to follow the Lord. Just dive in. Jump in. Just do it. And then uh, the last one for today, again, from New York. Hey, Zach. Zach writes, he says, don't go halfway. Don't be like the man building a tower who didn't count the cost. Uh, Zach, it's a great passage of scripture that you're referencing. Uh, don't go halfway. You know, when you follow the Lord, when you make that choice that you're going to be a disciple, understand that it comes at a cost. And, and, you know, I was having this conversation with someone this week, and we were talking about it, and we were asking why. Why would people want to just undergo all of that opposition and persecution and, and just all of that negativity from the world, just constantly being opposed by the world? It's, you know, we're saying, hey, come to Christ, sacrifice, give your life to him, and you're going to have persecution, and you're going to, you know, have tribulation and all of that. You're going to be opposed. I mean, it's kind of like, why would anyone want to sign up for that? Well, we're going to talk about that today, um, but it goes back to God being worthy. He is worthy, and if there's any motive, motivation that we should have, it's because we have a worthy God, and he deserves all glory and all praise, and, and that life that we live should be lived in the light of eternity. And so, great feedback. We're really thankful again for all of those who wrote in. Occasionally we'll do that and we'll have, you know, just a question. I'll, I'll write it out, probably post it online. And if you have access to our Instagram account, uh, even Facebook, 
uh, just you know, check in periodically and you might find something uh, there that you can participate in. And we love when people are participating, uh, when we talk about the Great Commission and even what it means to follow Jesus Christ. So when we look at this question, you know, the question here is what does it mean to follow Christ? And the answer is often shaped by our understanding of the church and its purpose. Uh, and that's kind of what we're talking about today. We're looking at the church and we're asking, have we redefined the church and what the job of the church is and our role in the church and the church's role in the, the community? So this is kind of where we're going today because a lot of times we look at the church and people have a lot of different views. People look at the church and obviously you could say, well, the job of the church is for fellowship. Um, we are here to have fellowship with other believers. Doesn't Hebrews talk about forsake not the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much the more as ye see the day approaching. So fellowship is key, and I would agree with that. Fellowship is key. Some people would say worship. We need to have worship, and we need to focus on godly music. Um, and certainly, worship is a part of our service when we come together at church. Uh, we want to come and worship. We want to focus on music, and more especially, godly music. Uh, people would say that teaching, teaching is the purpose of the church, we want to equip believers to believe in sound doctrine. Others would say raising your family in a godly way, in a safe Christian environment, just nurturing those little ones to grow up to love the Lord. And, and I, I would agree, again, all of these answers are, are there and they're vital in a church. We could even, like we talked about a week ago, or, or two weeks ago, conserving our faith and our values, our beliefs, trying to conserve that for the next generation. So whether we're talking about fellowship, worship, teaching, raising our families, or even conserving our faith, these are all essential. And I want to I repeat that. Everything that I just mentioned is essential to have in the lives of believers. When we talk about the function of the church, um, you need to have all of this. This has to be there. If we don't have this here, then the church is doomed for failure. Um, if they're not going to continue in their walk with Christ. This is essential because as believers, we should be edifying each other. When we even look at the spiritual gifts that the Apostle Paul talks about in the New Testament, all of those are for the edification of the church. And so we have to be there for each other. These points, we can't compromise. We can't change these points out. But while all of these things are very good and even vital to have, they don't reflect the mission of the church. They don't reflect the mission for which the church was established. Now, I know I've lost some of you right now, and you're thinking, wait a second here. You mean teaching believers in sound doctrine is not why the church was there? It is definitely there for that, but that's not the primary function of the church. You say, well, what about our families, raising up our families in good, godly Christian music? Again, essential. We can't do without it, but that's not the primary function of the church. When we look at the book of Revelation, 
especially Revelation 4.11, you could read throughout the book and come to the same conclusion. But the Bible says, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. The primary function of the church, and even your function as a believer, is ultimately centered around giving God glory. That is why we're here. We are here to give God glory. All creation exists purely to give God glory. Um, Jesus, when he was here on this earth, and he was even giving us this commission to go and to make disciples, that is done to give God glory. He said in John chapter 15, verse 8, Herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples. And so as one that wants to follow Jesus, being a member in an assembly of other like-minded believers, our function is to make disciples, but it is to glorify God. That, is, that has to be the ultimate goal here. That has to be the end game. There are many reasons why we're in church, and there are many advantages, there are many benefits, and we, we talked about some of them just now. But the ultimate, ultimate function of the church and your ultimate motive and, and, and just mandate needs to be centered around giving God glory. Now, the biblical command to give God glory runs in direct opposition to our own desire to receive glory. So the Bible says, give God the glory, and we, in our flesh, we want to receive glory. And, and that's why, listen, that's why it is really, really important that we focus on Christ. Because motives matter. Motives matter. When we're talking about giving God the glory and the church's function being to give God glory— then as we are serving in the church, our motives matter. As we're working for God, as we're uh, doing things and serving and sacrificing, our motives make a difference. Otherwise, we can just be in the church focusing on our own accomplishments. We could be talking about missions, and we could be boasting of our own effort. We could be boasting of how good we are. You know, oh, we're supporting 50 missionaries, 100 missionaries, 200 missionaries. We are doing this, and we're out in our neighborhoods, and we're involved, and we're active, and we are, we are doing this, and we are doing that. And everything becomes about our own accomplishments, and it stops being about God's glory. It stops being about Jesus, because we want recognition. Everybody wants recognition, Right? I mean, I think we all appreciate a little pat on the back, but it, it kind of gets weird when we want to, you know, pat our own back, when we want to boast uh, about ourselves. You know, I think it was Harry Truman that said, it's amazing what you can accomplish when you don't care who gets the credit. And, and those are true words. It's amazing because everyone wants credit. Everyone wants recognition. Everyone wants to talk about their own accomplishments. But that leaves God over here deserving glory. 
and he is worthy of glory and we are his creation and we were created to give him glory. The church was born to bring him glory and here we are taking it. Here we are absorbed in it. And this is really, this is not good. This is something that undermines the very functionality of the church because everything in the church then becomes about us and what we want and how we want to do it and fulfilling our desires and making sure that we get the recognition that we think that we need. So this should be our main motive and purpose, giving God the glory. It's what the angels in heaven are focused on. It's what Jesus taught his disciples, and it's what the Bible instructs of us today. Give God the glory. And it glorifies God when an unregenerate man is made alive. It glorifies God when the lost are found. It glorifies God when a broken relationship is restored. And that is what it's all about. But to understand the church's primary function, we have to go back and look at God's purpose and plan through the ages and what has led us to where we are today. Otherwise, uh, you're just looking at the church in the context of popular opinion. Uh, you know, because if we're not looking at how God defines church and how God has created the church and how he wants it to function, then we're just viewing it how we want to view it in our own cultural setting. You know, we tend to forget that sometimes, you know, the world of today is not as God designed it. Mankind's fallen nature and position with God is not as he designed. There is no glory in the separation that creation now experiences from its creator. There's that separation. And, and you say, well, that's why Jesus came. And, and you're right. That is why Jesus came. Now, when we look at Romans chapter 5, verse 11 and 12, the Bible says, And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. We talk about Christ. He came to atone. He came as a propitiation, as a substitute. He came to appease God because our iniquity, our sin, has separated us between God, between us and God. Verse 12, wherefore is by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. This is the reality of our condition. We are separated from God. Mankind is separated from God. We cannot forget this. We can't forget that this is the human condition. The human condition is one of separation from their Creator. We are separated from a just and a holy God. That's why Romans chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, it's all talking about sin. It's all talking about that separation and the human condition and how we often even deceive ourselves. How we, we can't even hold the truth. We hold it in unrighteousness. How even when God reveals himself that we, we don't even listen and we don't pay attention and we neglect the, the word and the, the, the revelation that God gives to us. And as a result, if we're not going to accept the righteousness that is revealed, then we will one day accept the wrath of God that is revealed. And so Jesus came because of the human condition. 
that has to be the foundation of this discussion. We have a problem. Sin is the problem. And the human condition is one of hopelessness. The human condition is one of need because we need Christ. But the plan to set things right, you know, we can, we can look at Christ coming on the cross at Calvary as that plan being just instilled and, and really beginning. But the plan was made long before Mary and Joseph entered Bethlehem. We can go to Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, where Moses is writing of Adam and Eve in the garden. And he says, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Again, we have the prophecy of a wounded victor here. And these prophetic words from Moses in the book of Genesis, chapter 3, reveal the coming of one that would break that hold that Satan has on mankind, though it would come at a cost. We know that our atonement did come at great cost to Jesus. And though he paid that ultimate sacrifice, that ultimate price, it is free to us. Salvation is a free gift. It is given freely, it is received freely, but it came at great cost. Jesus is that wounded victor that was prophesied by Moses thousands of years before the, the actual act of Christ coming to Calvary took place. So God coming down, manifesting himself in the form of human flesh, really just represented a plan that was enacted, that was formed and then enacted because God has that love for us. He created us with a purpose to give him glory. And here we are now broken and the human condition is broken. And he found a way to restore us, to bring us back. He came and was willing to die just so that we could be restored. This is the beginning of a plan that God started so, so long ago. Now, when we, when we look at the coming of Christ, this definitely was a fulfillment of the prophecy that we read in Genesis chapter 3. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18, the Apostle Paul, he writes, And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ. You see, that, that reconciliation, that's why he came. He came to bring peace between God and man because of what happened in the garden. Uh, because of what happened, uh, what Moses wrote about between uh, Adam and Eve and them being separated from God and because of their sin, mankind now living in sin and being born with sin. And so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. This is the curse that has been passed down from one generation to the next since the dawn of time. And since that time now, we are living separated from God. The only thing that can stop that, that can restore that, is that reconciliation with Christ. But listen, Jesus did not come. He didn't come to this earth so that you could simply live a good life. He didn't come to this earth simply so that you could just enjoy yourself in your church, that you could live out your Christianity. The Bible speaks in the verse that we just read, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it speaks of man's greatest need. And it highlights a ministry to meet that need. What is man's greatest need? Well, we have no peace with God. There's a need. And what is needed? The ministry of reconciliation. 
Going back to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18, And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. Verse 19, To wit, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us. Listen now. He hath committed unto us the, the word of reconciliation. The Bible speaks of this ministry, this reconciliation, addressing humanity's greatest dilemma, that there is just no peace. There's no peace between man and God. And God came in the form of flesh to, to restore, to bring that peace. One of the single greatest acts of God in which he receives glory is the act of reconciliation. When we look at what God has done to come down to man, to reduce himself, to bring him down on our level, Christ came so that he could bear our sin. Christ came so that he could take our penalty. And we must but believe and receive him by faith. And all of this is only possible because of his grace. This is his redemptive work. And I want to just emphasize that. I know, I know that you're thinking right now, well, I know all of this, Damon. I'm sure you do, but just bear with me here. I'm trying to lay the groundwork and to show you that this is the root problem. The root problem goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve sinned. Because of that sin, we have a, a problem now with the human condition. We are born sinners. We are born separated from God. So the solution was that Jesus had to come to, to bear our sins, to pay the price, to, to, to have his blood be shed as an atonement for that sin. And that appeases God. And so now because of all of that, this is his redemptive work. This is his plan through the ages. I mean, look throughout time. And you could see this plan unfolding through the ages and in one generation to the next living it out until Christ came and finally the plan fulfilled. And here we are in the church age uh, enjoying God's grace, being able to call upon him by faith to forgive us. Why? Because this was his plan. This was his redemptive work and he has now entrusted it to us. This plan that he made, that he created, that he initiated is now passed down to you. You have a part in God's redemptive plan, the plan that has been going on for 6,000 years. We are now part of a plan to save mankind. Where do we see this? Well, let's look quickly to John chapter 17. I want to read verse 3 and 4. Jesus here is speaking, and he says, And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. I have glorified thee on the earth. There we have giving God glory once again. And Jesus said, How? How has Jesus given glory to God? I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. Jesus gave glory in and through his life by finishing that work. Jesus brought life, abundant life. 
and a way for men to know God, for men to be restored once again to the Lord. In this work, God receives the glory. Jesus just said that. He says, I have glorified you with the work that I have done. In this work, God receives the glory. Jesus glorified the Father in this work of reconciliation. Jesus finished his work at Calvary and now turns to us to continue in his place. You say, well, where is that? Well, go down a few more verses. Verse 18, John chapter 17, verse 18. Now, in between verse 3 and 4 and verse 18, Jesus speaks about how you know, we're in the world, we're not of the world, and how he's asking the Father to, to protect his children, these believers that have uh, agreed and received the message from Christ to keep them from the evil, not to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil. And then in verse number 18, Jesus continues and he says, As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. You see, God started a plan and he gave it to Jesus. And Jesus continued it, and then he finished his part. He died at Calvary. He brought redemption. And now Jesus turns to us, and he turns it over again. And he says, I also sent them into the world. He turns to us now to continue where he left off. We are his disciples. We represent Christ. We are his ambassadors. So we, in turn, glorify God just as Jesus did as we prioritize his mission. What is his mission? To restore lost men and women to God from the world. To restore souls that, that had broken relationships, that had given themselves over to sin. To restore them to Christ. To restore them to the Father. You see, the mission of the church is the same mission that existed thousands of years before the church was even born. Everything we do in the church should be done with this one mission in mind. If we're to fellowship, we talked about all of those things that we have in the church, all of those activities, all of those um, ideas of what the church should be doing. If we're going to fellowship, well, then let's fellowship around the gospel. I'm not saying that fellowship is wrong. I'm not saying that uh, we shouldn't have fellowship, that we need to just have the Great Commission, that we just have to make disciples no fellowship. No. No, I'm saying fellowship, but fellowship around the gospel. If you're going to encourage each other, encourage each other in and around your faith to follow Jesus. If you're going to edify, look for ways to provoke each other to good works for the sake of lost souls. If you're going to raise godly families, raise your family so that you can equip them to reach this world. If you're going to conserve your values and your beliefs, then do so not simply because your beliefs and everything that you have was passed down from your fathers, but to, but to help strengthen the gospel for the next generation. You see, if we're just, if we're just continuing in what our fathers did, if, if we're just continuing in the example that our fathers gave us simply because, oh, they're our fathers and we should respect them, well, that's a wrong reason. Okay, you need to follow in their example with a purpose to help strengthen the gospel for the next generation. The mission has not changed. The mission, the last 6,000 years, everything, this, this plan of redemption has been 
ongoing as God has brought all of this to us in the year 2023. And here we are, and now it's our turn. And now we have to be involved. It's the same mission that Jesus died for. And it's the same mission for which we need to be employed. The mission of the church is the same that existed thousands and thousands of years when Adam and Eve were on this earth. Everything we do in the church should be done with this mission in mind. The very existence of the church is to help seek and save that which was lost. Ask yourself, are you fulfilling this mission? Is your church fulfilling this mission? Today, everyone wants to go to a church that is going to benefit them, that's going to meet their needs. You know, people, they say, and I've heard this many times, they say, you know, I'll, I'll go to this church if it meets my needs. Or I'll fellowship here if they have activities for me, if they have activities and things for my family. Or I'll attend this church um, if the worship is good, if I like the worship. You know, how often do we gauge a church by what we want, what we feel we need, and not about really the level of devotion to the mission for which he's called us. The purpose of the church is the mission, the mission to seek and to save that which was lost. That is the mission. And then as you are fulfilling that mission, everything else is going to, to fall in line. You're going to be edifying each other. You're going to be raising your family in a good and godly way. You're, you'll be focused on worship and praise to Christ. All of this is going to happen when you are focused on the true priority of the church, the, the purpose for which it was created. This is what we need to be looking for in a church. You know, if I'm looking to buy a car, you know, I could look at the outside of the car, but what if I'm looking at a beautiful car, but it has no engine? Or what if the engine is just totally broke down? I mean, if the car is beautiful on the outside, it's not going to help me if the engine is totally shot. Because the purpose of a car is to drive you from point A to point B. If I have a car, I buy a car, and it just sits in my driveway, well, then what benefit is it going to be for me or anybody else? It's not fulfilling its purpose. Now, I can park that car in my driveway. It could look nice. It could look like every other car, but it's not driving me anywhere. You know, I could even just, if it's totally broke down, I could plant flowers on it. It's still not fulfilling the purpose for which it was designed. The purpose is to drive. What is the purpose of the church? It's to fulfill that mission, to make disciples, to give the gospel, to, to have that reconciliation, the word of reconciliation, to give that message out, to bring peace between God and man. We are to continue where Christ left off. We're to continue with the same thing that God initiated, that Jesus continued in it, and then was passed on to you and to me. Remember, we started off by talking about how our understanding of following Jesus is often shaped by our understanding of the church and its purpose. We are to make disciples because that is exactly what Jesus did. When we look at the Great Commission in Matthew 28, Jesus said, go ye therefore and teach all nations. What are we teaching? We're teaching the word of reconciliation. We're teaching them everything that Christ taught his disciples. 
We're teaching them to love God, to love people, to serve faithfully, to be committed to the cause. This is what we are to be teaching. We're to be equipping and to be empowering, not so that we can just have a good time, but that but rather we should we need to be intentional. We need to be on mission. Have you discipled anyone in your life? Have you gone out there? Have you led people to the Lord? If not, then you are not fulfilling your purpose. And I don't want that to be a discouragement to you. If you haven't led anyone to the Lord, if you're not currently discipling, well, then go out there. Go out there and and do something. Get the job done. Meet people. Talk with people. You do already anyways on a regular basis. But now just be intentional with your faith and bring people along in their knowledge of God, in their knowledge of Christ and how they can receive eternal life. But if you're not fulfilling your purpose, then what are you doing? Why do you exist if not to continue in this ministry of reconciliation? Why do we even go to church at all if we are not active in this ministry, this work of reconciliation? That is why the church is there. That is why we are here. And it ultimately brings glory to God. Our desire to live out the American dream has created a feel-good, self-serving Christianity that I feel has really weakened the gospel. It has distracted God's people and compromised the church. Because now we just want to live the good life. We want to work hard and we want to buy that forever home. You know, And we live like we're going to be here forever. We live like this is just everything. Everything is about our happiness. We have a generation right now that is consumed with being happy. Now, I'm not saying that you can't be happy. I think you should be happy. And Jesus wants you to be happy. Jesus wants you to have joy. Jesus wants you to have fulfillment. But look at that John 17 that we read earlier. Look at verse 13. Jesus says, And now come I to thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. God wants you to be happy. He wants you to have joy, but he wants that joy to be his joy. He he wants you to be happy and to have joy in the things that give him joy. Because life is not about you. Life is not about me. It's about giving glory to God. And if your life is not giving glory to God, then you're taking the glory for yourself. You're living for your own joy. You're living for your own life instead of living the life that God wants you to have, instead of living and receiving that joy, his joy, in you. Essentially, we want what we want, and we do what we must to get it. We prize the security and the safeguards that we've employed to make sure that we have that brighter future that we've been promised. Hey, we signed on the dotted line for the American dream, and now it's time to cash out. Now it's time to get something in return. We don't do anything in our life now if if there's no benefit. And we've taken that mentality and we've adopted it to the church. We've changed the church's function to reflect our own expectations and desires. Now we're going to the church and we're saying, hey, what are you going to give me? How are you going to make me happy? And how are you going to you know, give me that God moment, that experience that I want. Instead of looking at God and saying, Lord, I am your servant. I want to follow you. Instead of looking at the church and 
looking at other believers and saying, hey, how can we rally around the cause of Christ to continue with this plan of redemption that was started long ago? The, the, the same plan that God the Father began as far back as Genesis. The same plan of redemption that was fulfilled in the sacrifice of Christ. The same plan of redemption that he has given to you and that he's given to me. Following Jesus, it's not going to be easy all the time. It, it will come at a cost. It always has. Our calling will take us through hard times, difficult times. There's going to be situations where you're going to feel like you have no idea how to move forward. And it's during those times that you must remember your purpose, that you must remember the purpose of the church. And it's not about us. It's about God's glory. It never was about you. It never was about me. It was all about him and about him receiving glory in and through his church. It's about the church continuing with this plan of redemption, giving that redemptive story to those around them, ministering this word of reconciliation. All of this is what we should be doing. Today's takeaway if you can remember one thing, remember this, to understand the purpose of the church. What is that purpose? And then to let that purpose shape and guide your life. Understand why God designed the church. Understand why it was created in the first place. It wasn't created just so that we could be happy. And while that is a benefit of the church, and when I go to church, I am happy, because I have that joy in the Lord. I'm, I'm rejoicing in the things that God rejoices in. God wants us to be happy like we talked about a minute ago. But that's not the main mission of the church. The main mission is not so that you can have a place just to rest. You know, while we're, while we're waiting for his return, we're not just to rest in a safe environment. We're not trying to create a bubble so that we're safe and so that we're comfortable and so that, hey, at least we can be around people that are similar to us. No, there's a, a goal here. There's a reason why you are in the church. There's a reason why I am in the church. We need to fulfill that purpose because he is worthy. He is worthy to receive all glory. He is worthy to receive your worship. He is worthy to receive your sacrifice. Well, thank you for tuning in today. I pray that you were encouraged to become active in your faith. That's our goal. Um, my prayer for you is that you will be uh, just looking for ways that you can participate in the Great Commission, looking for ways that you can follow Jesus, where you could say, I want God more, more than this world, more than my own desires. So remember to follow us uh, wherever podcasts are found. Go on the internet. You can subscribe um, on your favorite podcast platform. Uh, I also want to encourage you to go on our website at hopezambia.com to learn more about our family and what we're doing here in the country of Zambia, Africa. Uh, God has really blessed our work. We have a great team both in Zambia and stateside. Um, and we would love to tell you more about that. You can read all of our newsletters are there. In fact, you can sign up to receive our newsletters right there on the website. Um, and, you know, we are really kind of doing what you're doing. We're, we're doing it on different continents. Of course, we have to deal with a lot of 
cultural and linguistic barriers. And so there are those differences, but you know, in the same way that you are living your faith and telling people the gospel within your faith community, we are also living our faith and telling people about the gospel and creating faith communities um, as mission workers living abroad here in sub-Saharan Africa. And we can't do what we do without you, without strong Christians back home. And so please continue to pray for us. Um, we've been getting a lot of answers to prayer, especially with our radio ministry as we get that off the ground. A uh, number of churches have sponsored um, different things. We had one that had given money for all the radio equipment, uh, another that had helped us with the shipping of the barrels, uh, and even another so that we could pay for one year's broadcasting. So a lot is coming together with that particular ministry, uh, and we're just happy. We're thrilled just watching everything come together, and hopefully in the next couple of weeks, we'll start recording, and we'll launch that and just watch what God does. Uh, we, uh, we, of course, have our ministry in the city at Hope Bible Baptist Church, and then in the village at Chambakezon Pingua Baptist. God is really blessing. We're thrilled, and we're glad that you've tuned in today as we talk about the Great Commission. So listen, let's not just talk about it. Let's do something. So, you know, press disconnect on the radio or wherever you're listening on your, on your iPhone or iPad, and when you hang up here, go and tell someone about Jesus. Go and do your part. Fulfill your purpose, the purpose for which you were born, the purpose for which the church was brought together. You have a purpose. Now go do it. I'm Damon Matichero. You're listening to the Let's Talk Missions podcast. Have a great day, and we'll see you next week. See you later. Bye.